You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, the 5th of July. A very pleasant day here in TW11, and forecast is to Brighton to the weekend. The heavy rain that fell here yesterday meant that the ground at Sandown Park for this Saturday's Coral Eclipse uh, momentarily changed to good to soft, but it's expected to dry. We'll be hearing about another of the Coral Eclipse likely quintet, sextet, Dubai Honour from trainer William Haggis later in the programme, who also gives us an update on some of his stable stars, a couple of whom have been notably absent in recent weeks. Also be talking to Kate Harrington about the well-being of Spreewell after that unfortunate run in the Irish Derby and Harry Eustace on plans for his impressive Royal Ascot winner Docklands. Plus, we'll be making our next visit to the National Stud before this show is out. But first of all, as I welcome in Lee Mottishead, senior writer from the Racing Post, Lee, uh, the pretty poly stakes at uh, the Curra at the weekend, which was won by Via Sistina and incurred Jamie Spencer a six-day suspension is going to have to be raked over again because both the trainer of the runner-up stay alert and the rider of the winner have appealed against the results and the suspension respectively. Have either got any chance of winning their appeal? Well, it, it well, have either got any chance of winning their appeal? I think Jamie Spencer perhaps has more chance than Huey Morrison, just because I think that's... When you look objectively at the results, the fact that there was two lengths between Via Sistina and Staylert at the end of the Pretty Poly Stakes, I think will make it hard for Huey Morrison's case to be successful. Just as a quick pricey, Via Sistina won that Pretty Poly Stakes on Saturday, a Group 1 contest with a first prize of €177,000 to the winning all. She won it by two lengths and ultimately she won it visually quite readily but she lugged in significantly right in the closing stages. One of the the sufferers in that interference was Stay Alert, who was ridden by Ronan Whelan. Um, the Racing Post analysis for that race, Nick, was written by uh, our senior analyst, Ron Wood. Um, he made the point in writing about Stay Alert. He said she may have pushed the winner close with a clear path. And Ronan Whelan, the jockey, of the filly said at the time I thought I was coming there to put in a really serious challenge and I got a little bit checked we'll never know but I definitely feel I would have given the winner plenty to think about now Huey Morrison evidently thinks that um, Staler would have given the winner plenty to think about he was quoted in the Racing Post yesterday claiming that his horse and also Ross Carberry who has been spoken about plenty on this pod in the past, were endangered, that was his word, by the Jamie Spencer-ridden winner. Um, He said in the piece, if it's dangerous, they should lose the race. I wasn't there, he says, but connections felt justice wasn't done. There's a lot at stake, and I feel as a rule that when interference takes place, the horse being stopped is never taken into account. It's been quoted to me by numerous people that it was a professional foul. And if justice is seen to be done, we'll get it on appeal. Now, Jamie Spencer would clearly say it wasn't a professional foul. He has received a six-day suspension 
for his ride on Via Sistina, which under the IHRB uh, penalties for careless riding, which were actually bumped up just following the weekend. So new penalties in place now. But under those penalties, Jamie Spencer received what is deemed to be a middle to upper uh, severity punishment, if you like, with six days. The reason, well, there may, may be multiple reasons why Jamie is appealing the suspension, but one clear reason one would imagine is that the suspension as it stands kicks in on July the 15th. July the 15th is the day of the now potent sponsored July Cup in which Jamie Spencer would be expected to ride Cardin, his winning mount in the Queen Elizabeth II Platinum Jubilee Stakes at Royal Ascot. Cardin isn't as yet in that race, but we've heard on the pod from the owner's racing manager, Alex Cole, that they are likely to supplement him for the race. They made clear at the time and subsequently how important they felt Jamie Spencer was to that horse on the Saturday of Royal Ascot. They'll be very keen for him to ride the horse again. If Jamie is to do that, the minimum, or basically all he has to do is get a six-day ban reduced to four days because at four days, a group one deferral option is activated so if jamie spencer can get six days reduced to four he'll be able to ride cardam in the july cup that's his ambition huey morrison at the other extreme is hoping to have the winning horse via sistina disqualified which would give stay alert victory in the pretty poly state so both sides of this result are looking to have action taken by the stewards and in a very different direction and the stakes are pretty high because there could be Group 1 races either retrospectively or in the future, depending upon it. Big Group 1 race this weekend is the Coral Eclipse. We've spoken a lot about Emily Up, John. We've spoken quite a bit about Paddington and indeed Luxembourg and Anmark this week. We haven't given much love to Dubai Honour, the horse who spent his winter in the East. Good runs in Australia, good run in Hong Kong as well. Uh, William Haggis is his trainer and I spoke to him a few moments ago and I asked him whether this was uh, a race which he looked at and thought yeah I've, I, I belong here I've got a serious chance with Dubai Honour or whether it was a bit of a roll of the dice. I think the latter probably um, you know uh, it, it's a it's a fierce race Emily Opdon's obviously coming back in trip Paddington's going up in trip and Martin's solid very solid um, I think he's perfectly entitled to be there. And, you know, the one thing I was looking at when I was looking at the uh, confirmations, Simon Chris, Simon Christford came in very late with West Wind Blows and it looked like there were only the five. And I think Aidan put Luxembourg in for pace more than anything. And now Simon's horse has come in and is going to obviously be a solid pace. I don't think that's going to be... A problem so i think there'll be the five of us and we'll see and so were you pleased with that you were thinking right well there are a couple of horses who are who are really going to try and cut the race open a bit well i'd have preferred simon not to be there because then it would have been a little bit more interesting because you know tactics would have played a big part okay. but uh, you know if the pace is going to be solid though usually the better ones come to the fore although the Eclipse has a great record for good horses being eclipsed. Um, it does, and it's a it's it's a race you you've won before. I mean, when we spoke about Dubai Honor in the winter, 
you were quite convinced in your own mind that it wasn't just a function of him beating inferior horses in Australia. He had actually improved. Do you still do you still hold to that? Yeah, I think he I think he put up a better performance in Australia than he had done when he winning his Group Twos in France. Um, you know, I mean, it it depends how high you rate Animo. Uh, he did. He seemed to be the best horse in Australia at that distance, a mile and a mile and a quarter. And he won nine or ten group ones, so he can't be useless. And he made him look uh, not that good. So I think he's improved. Hong Kong was a bit messy, but there's some good horses in Hong Kong mm. too. Um, and so you know, we'll see. We'll see how he goes at Sandown. I think he loves going right-handed, and um, he stays the trip well. Uh, there are some good horses in in your yard as well, although you're you're a little bit pessimistic about some of the the top notches at the moment. Are you, are you managing to to get um, Mal Juman's sense of duty anywhere nearer the racecourse at the moment? No, not not at the moment. Um, uh, we're we're battling, uh, coming back from another injury, both of them, and uh, we're battling at the moment. But we'll get them there. But the season slides on. We're now approaching the July meeting at Newmarket and. Crikey, we'll be buying earlings next month in Deauville. So, golly, it soon soon goes goes quickly. Time. Um, do you think you'll get either of them on the course in 2023? Yes, I do. I think if we don't have a setback, another setback, I think I'll get them both on comfortably. Okay. So, you know, we'll see. Okay. Um, I mean, something like York or Doncaster, that kind of time. I don't know yet, Nick. We'd hope Sense of Duty would get uh, for the Betfair. Spring Cup, um, that's her first target, I think. And Maljum, um, we're looking at the Moolah if we get there. Okay. Um, and but you know, there's lots of racing in the winter for him. So you know, the most important thing is getting him sound and getting him back and getting him fit and well. Um, it might. How did my Prospero come out of Ascot? He uh, he's fine. Um, it, it was funny, really, because. We all got picked off by the one with a turn of foot. Um, I thought he he just he he didn't run to his best. I didn't feel, but he's absolutely fine. I think um, I think we'll go for the Skybet race at York, and then um, try and get him back winning again, and then take it from there. He's a pretty smart horse, but he looked a little bit um, laboured at Ascot. I have to say. Um, one horse who didn't look laboured to ask it was was Desert Hero. I, I mean, it was a pretty spectacular performance, whichever way you, you you sliced it. Has he come out of that okay? Yeah, he's fine, thanks, Nick. Yeah, very pleased. It was great to win. It was absolutely fantastic, and uh, you know, for for a change, it all worked in our favour. And uh, it was a terrific performance with an exceptionally good ride. And I hope that he'll go forward from now. He might he might go to Hamilton for the Glasgow, but we haven't really discussed it yet. But that's it's a little bit it's a furlong shorter. And he may need a mile and a half, but I'd like to step him up to a list of the handicapper put him up eight, which I think was quite stiff for beating something a neck or a head or a nose or something. You know, so there you go. William Haggis there with lots of news about lots of good horses, some of whom need uh, for everything to go right to get back on the track. But um, all things being equal, Dubai on a should run in the Eclipse at the weekend, Lee. And it was interesting what he was saying about tactics there, how he'd rather the outsider wasn't running. So there might be some sort of uh, tactical 
chaos factor that would give him a better chance. Yeah, that is interesting, Nick. Um, and that outsider, Western Blows, ridden by the aforementioned Jamie Spencer uh, on this occasion on Saturday as well. That was an interesting argument made by William. And I think certainly without West Wind Blows, we could potentially have an extremely interesting tactical con- uh, contest with none of the the likely runners being obvious front runners, if that is that Luxembourg didn't run. Um, Aidan O'Brien hasn't said either way whether Luxembourg definitely will or won't run. My assumption was that if Paddington goes, Luxembourg might not go, but that might be completely wrong. Um, I think in a general sense, though, Nick, um, whilst I understand William's argument, really the tactical um, possibilities that the race might throw up on Saturday with or without with West Wind blows, I think Dubai Honor is an extremely legitimate um, contender. On, on the figures, he's right up there with the two market leaders. He ran to a racing post rating of 124 in one of his two Group 1 wins in Sydney. Um, uh, earlier in the year um, that is superior to what Emily Upjohn managed in the Coronation Cup it's two pounds off what Paddington achieved in the St James's Palace Stakes now there's obviously more it's, it's a more complex picture than that but it does at least show that Dubai Honor is not going into this race as a horse who looks set to be heavily outclassed his figures are better than Anmart has achieved um, so far and I think Dubai Honor is a very good horse. The rain that bucketed down here uh, in Surrey on Tuesday evening won't have done his prospects any harm, albeit the ground will now probably dry significantly between now and the race on on Saturday, and you won't be at all surprised if more watering takes place between now and then. But I think Dubai Honor, Nick, is is a perfectly legitimate contender in this race, and I suspect that at the moment he is probably overpriced. Well, one horse we haven't heard too much of since Royal Ascot is Docklands, who was brilliant, really, in the in the Britannia, scooting away from his own side and beating him all comfortably in the end for Haley Turner and Harry Eustace. Harry's with me now. Uh, Harry, he, he runs in quite well-known colours, OTI Racing, who are an Australian concern. Um, what's the plan for him now? Hi, Nick. Yeah, um, he sort of has a short-term and a long-term sort of option. Uh, the long-term one being the golden eagle uh, in october down in oz um which obviously quite a valuable race and and it's a sort of four-year-old only race which he qualifies for so that's sort of in the back of my mind it's not sort of pen, sort of set in stone but it's something that has to be considered for him and then the sort of shorter term uh i think i think we'll take a step up into group company and we'll go for the or we'll aim to go for the bonhams at goodwood uh it's the sort of last three-year-old only group option in in the uk um and uh seems a sort of obvious step timing wise and and just you know we'll find out you know where we really are with him then and he's he's obviously come out of the race as you'd as you'd have expected when you look back on it, it it seems even more impressive because he beat his own side by by so far and and Haley was as brave as brave as you wanted on it on him yeah, I think um, it's one of those when you watch the replay back and you really follow him all the way through the race, you you, you notice how well he travels through the race. And then, as you said, 
had to put it to bed with with sort of very little help from from his side. So uh, it was obviously sort of hugely encouraging, and and he won well, and um, that was off the back of a of a fourteen pound rise. So um, you know he is still improving. We hope, and um, you know that's why I think it's time for him to take step up into, into group class really. And he's obviously worth an awful lot of money. I mean, every year we see about the first 12 in the Britannia disappear to Hong Kong or Australia or, or, or wherever. Um, it's quite bold to have another roll of the dice or two, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I have to say that's all, you know, massive sort of credit to the whole ownership group. Um, I think Terry had, had conversations with them all, all through last week. And I think they just felt this was the sort of horse that they, you know, all initially went into ownership for uh, and very luckily I think part of it is you know when he goes to us he will be racing for quite a lot of money too and that probably helps to a point um, but also he gave them the sort of day that you know they've been dreaming of for a long time and and, and they're hoping to, to enjoy more of those. So when he, when he gets to the Golden Eagle does he does he get to race in in your name or or not? Uh uh, I, to be honest, these sort of details haven't been talked about. I'm almost certain it would be for me, um, but we sort of weren't planning too far ahead. It was just, it was a race, you know. Terry and I sort of talked about, you know, afterwards as as options for him in Australia, but you know, outside of that race, uh, as an older, mature horse, there'll, there'll be lots of good options for him, and um, you know, I think it'd be lovely to go there and be competitive in that race, but. You know, we wouldn't force it for the for the one race. I think he he he's got, I hope, quite a quite a good future ahead of him, especially in Australia, and 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 we're very sort of mindful of that. All right. Well, that was uh, Harry Eustace, of course, one-time assistant to William Haggis, from whom we heard a few moments ago. Uh, Docklands is a very good horse, Lee, and the good news is that he's he's not changing hands anytime soon, or he's not changing ownership anytime soon. I mean, the money they must have been offered for him it may, would make your eyes water. It really interesting it because the the Britannia now is pretty much most significant for being a major um, advertising space for horses to go to to Hong Kong. It's known that if you have a winning horse in the Britannia or even a place horse in the Britannia, owners in Hong Kong will be extremely interested in that horse, and that has tempted. Some huge owners in the sport. Thesis was owned by Judmont last year's winner, went to Hong Kong. Even though Judmont are massive owners, they were still encouraged to sell the horse by Hong Kong owners. Um, and I think Docklands would have been absolutely um, a candidate for Hong Kong, even though he's got Aussie ownership through OTI Racing, because we, we know that many horses who are imported into Hong Kong come from Australia. It's every bit as attractive um, uh, a jurisdiction as Britain is to Hong Kong owners. But they're looking forward to potentially going to, as you say, New South Wales and Sydney and the Golden Eagle towards the end of the year. That's a realistic option. He's now on 104 rated horse. Um, the Golden Eagle is a massively competitive contest. But we know in general terms that the further you move up the distance spectrum, the more realistic uh, European candidates are against Southern Hemisphere candidates. 
Uh, and whilst a horse like Light Infantry wasn't able to to win the prize last year, I think Docklands would be a, a serious candidate for that race. He would be a serious candidate as well if they wanted to then press on to um, to Melbourne, where there are um, valuable pots later in the in the in the year as well. So um, different options, I think, for for Docklands in both Melbourne and in in Sydney. Um, and it would be very good, obviously, for Harry Eustace if his name was on the license when that horse ran in in Australia. And I'm guaranteed that the media in Australia would love that as well, given that Harry's brother, David, is um, a huge name now in Australian racing and the reigning Melbourne Cup joint winning trainer alongside Kieran Ma after Gold Trip success there in November. Absolutely. And the likely beneficiary of uh, any transfers, you'd imagine, down under from the uh, the Eustace stable. OK, Irish Derby uh, debrief is pretty much complete, though uh, we need to try and work out what next for one or two of the horses who didn't run terribly well. Uh, Spreewell's race was pretty much brought to an end in that horrible incident with the San Antonio uh, on the bend. I've been catching up with his assistant trainer, Kate Harrington, who had this to say about his well-being and his future targets. Um, hi, good morning, Nick. Um, he's a little bit stiff and sore. Um, he did get galloped into the back of, but um, everything seems to be um, okay on x-rays and scans. So, so hopefully it's just bruising and he's definitely an awful lot better this morning. So we'll give him another few uh, easy days, but the vets and um, the team here are very happy that um, he should come out of it in a couple of days. So no major structural injuries, but feeling a bit sorry for himself. Yes, just feeling a bit muscularly sorry for himself, just with getting a good bang um, into his back end. Um, so, um, hope, but hopefully all, all will be okay in a few days. Um, and as far as you're concerned, was that race over for him once that had, once that had happened? Shane definitely felt as soon as he got the bang into the back it just took him off his stride um for it's for a couple of strides coming down the hill and he never really got back up into top gear and uh, do you think what now just a, a a little bit of a break and then try and bring him back for the for the autumn or or, or will you be able to crack on fairly soon and um, we'll we'll give him a little bit of an easy time 10 days two weeks and um hopefully he did get an entry for the voltager in new york um I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. Um, he got an entry for that um, towards the end of August. So that potentially could be a name. And um, there is a few other options in Ireland for him as well. All right, uh, Lee, a few other bits and pieces to, to tidy up. Uh, Highfield Princess, this one's taken me by surprise a little bit, is not going to run in the July Cup. We knew she was being taken out of that, but she's going to have a, an in-between run at Goodwood in that very valuable King George stakes. It's only a group two, but then that would put a right for the Nunthorpe and then the Flying Five. That's It seems to be a five furlong plan from now on in. Yeah, Group 2, but a colossally valuable um, Group 2, as all the Group 2s are at Glorious Goodwood. Um, they're giving her what they say is a, is a bit of a break now, but, but John Quinn and John Fairley have always spoken about how she actually thrives on racing. So while some people might say, Wise Highfield Princess now dropping down to to Group Two level. Even aside from the the prize win, there it, it almost certainly won't do her any harm. It'll be a decent platform towards the the Nunthorpe and then the Flying Five and then wherever they decide to end her season. She has a number of international options. Um, she ran two extremely good 
races at Royal Ascot, I'd say probably better in the King Stand Stakes than in the Jubilee on the Saturday, which is maybe also, Nick, encouraged them to think more towards five furlongs than six furlongs. Okay, Westover's going to France at the weekend. We talked about Chaldean yesterday with Sheen Murphy running in the Prix Jean Prat at Deauville. A day earlier, Saturday, Westover's going to the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud, and that's not a race chock full of household names, if I was going to read them to you. Um, Zagre, Malibu Drive, Westover Stable Companion, Bolshoi Ballet, who uh, looked like he might be coming back a little bit for Aidan O'Brien, in fairness. Tunis, the brother to Torquato Tasso. Junko for Andre Faber and Lastochka for Jean-Marie Beguignet. Now, if he doesn't win this, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, first of all, it's extremely clever placing from Rafe Beckett and the Judmont team. Um, this is a group one that, that that sometimes is pretty stacked when the French have got a lot of talent at this sort of level and over this sort of distance. That doesn't appear to be the case among the older horses at the moment. And I think uh, Rafe and, and Barry Mann have found a really good group one target for Westover. As you say, it's not a race filled with household names. Uh, Zagre was one place behind Westover when Westover chased Omequinox in Dubai back in March. Tunners was behind Westover in the Coronation Cup. You say Bolshoi Ballet was making or is making progress, but he still is extremely beatable. And Junko at um, at Junko's best, you've, you've got a good horse there, run a good race behind uh, Anne Martin, the pre-dollar at Art Weekend last season. But again, isn't an outstanding Group 1 performer. So yes, Nick, you say if Westover doesn't win this, mm -hmm, but I think connections will be uh, pretty confident or should be pretty confident in expecting that Westover will win this. He didn't run a bad race at all behind Emily Upjohn, who was imperious that day. He'd run a cracking race in Dubai the time before. We know that on occasions there are issues with Westover and his temperament, but assuming those, those don't come to the fore on Saturday, he has a, a, a cracking chance. All right, Lee, back in a moment with a selection for this afternoon's racing. But first of all, the second of our four-part series going behind the scenes at the National Stud. A couple of weeks ago, you heard all about the Stallions. Today, it's about consigning horses for the sales. Here's Sam Cunningham once again. Each year, the National Stud sales consignment has featured consistently in the top consigner of yearlings and breeding stock in the UK circuit. I'm joined here today by Joe Bradley, head of bloodstock at the National Stud. Joe, where do you get your horses to consign? Are they owned by the National Stud? Are they sent to you by other studs or mare owners or even breeders? Uh, the National Stud itself, we, we of course breed to sell our own stock, um, but primarily we have a really loyal base of clients that uh, have been here for a number of years that we sort of advise uh, uh, and raise and then prep their uh, stock for the sales. So we're really lucky to have that loyal um, client base. And of course, like every area of our business, we're looking to expand um, both always in terms of, of, of quantity and quality. Um, I suppose over the years we've been known as uh, as sellers of, of foals and mares um, and the yearling side of things we're really looking to expand and um, at this time of the year Tattersalls and Goths have both been out to see uh, our yearlings uh, and so we're really now preparing and getting into the nitty gritty of um, sales selection. 
in terms of the selection and that loyal client base that you mentioned do you offer consignment advice to owners as to where they should place their horses at auction such as which tattersalls or goffs book they should go in in order to achieve their best price for their horse yeah absolutely um of course our, our, our clients are really knowledgeable um, themselves they have a great idea of where their horses are placed and where the best place is for them in terms of watch sale or watch book um, we're also really lucky to have great auction houses in, in Tattersalls and Goffs who, you know, they, they really try to have the best for the client and they have that at the forefront of their decisions as well. So really, in terms of sales placement, everybody works together to get the best result um, for the client and for the horse. In terms of achieving that best result for the horse and for the client, you do you offer full service consignment from nominating to which sale and the admin work and the sales prep? Is it the full package here at the National Stud? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we try to make the process for, um, for clients or for sellers um, as easy and as straightforward as, as possible. It, for new people into, into the industry, it can be uh, intimidating because it's a sort of a long um, process that they maybe perhaps haven't been involved in before. So we like to sort of take the reins and take clients through that whole process of, um, of, of raising the foal into yearling inspections, entering, uh, prepping and then consigning the the horse so there's a lot of it involved um, a lot of work involved in consignment um, it's really satisfying process and um, and hopefully we're going to get some good results this year is there a particularly busy time of the year for you with the consignment element i think december sales have previously and probably always will be a really vital time for the national stud not only are we selling a large draft of foals and breeding stock but then we've got our stallion parades here at on the farm uh, and that's at a vital time where breeders are starting to make decisions about their their breeding plans for the next year so that tends to be an incredibly busy time for everybody involved here at the stud um, and in the lead up into Christmas it's a really it's a nice time as well um, and by the time the sales finish I think everybody's sort of ready for a break you don't really get that much of a turnover on before you're into the breeding season um, but that's a great time of the year and uh, we're really looking forward uh, to the seal season ahead. Do you also, for these horses going into the sale season, do you take horses prepped at other sites and take them through the sales for those clients or is it solely from here? Uh, we offer a variety. There's, uh, we of course prep a majority of the the consignment on the farm. We've got a great stud team that we're developing that are that, that can really produce a high quality animal, animal for the seals. Um, but of course then we have horses that are prepped elsewhere. Um, we meet them at the seals and we can sort of then take on that, um, that task of parading, um, showcasing the horse to the best of our ability uh, and, and helping clients in that regard. Joe Bradley at the National Stud, our thanks to him and to Sam Cunningham and to all my guests today, Kate Harrington, William Haggis, Harry Eustace and of course to Lee Mottishead who is going to send you off with a winner. Um, if I could just point you towards my colleague Lewis Porch's piece on the state of Epsom as a training centre at the moment. It's a really interesting piece uh, showing both sides of the picture there at the moment. And Epsom race tonight, Nick, just down the road from Shea Motter's head. I'll be popping on there later on. And I'm hoping to see Marley Park um, be successful in the seven o'clock race there for Epsom trainer Jim Boyle, who's got a tremendous record at his local track and ran a big race 
um, at Epsom during the, the Derby Festival went third in a much better quality contest than this. And I think um, Marley Park has a, a real chance of winning the eight o'clock at Epsom this evening. The Betfred Challenge Cup, August the 12th, handicap over seven furlongs. Love it, Lee. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, July the 5th. Back to do it again tomorrow. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.